2: Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the School for Dumb Women, the podcast where we take the subjects everyone pretends to understand, Google them, then get distracted and wander off into a shopping centre. I'm your host woman, had her heart installed at the Build-A-Bear workshop, Hannah Farrell. With me is missing child announcement over the tannoy, Alexandra
1: Haddo. Eventually we got banned from going to the shopping centre, Hannah. The security guard told my mum that he already had three kids of his own.
2: And smoking round the back by the McDonald's deliveries entrance, Caroline O'Donoghue.
3: Hannah, I know what they put in the chicken nuggets and let me tell you, it's not chicken. It's not even poultry. Oh, is it nugget? It's nugget, yes. (laughs) It's the animal nugget. This week
2: we're investigating whether lobsters are good or evil, why we smear plastic all over our faces at Pride, and how a young boy from East London came to dominate the haircuts of every ten-year-old boy in the early 2000s. Plus we have special guest Natasha Hodgson in to tell us how smart women can enjoy horror films.
3: Let's begin! So Hannah, you've got a hard shell and you're covered in butter. Who are you? (laughs)
2: The hardest shell out of any of us. <laughs> That's Subsander up pretty well. It does. <laughs> <laughs> um, this week I am a lobster. Uh, a
4: uh, lobster.
1: lobster. Lobster. I am a lobster. lobster what lobster. is that thing from Friends? Like you're their lobster. Um, it means that you're going to be together forever because apparently lobsters mate for life. Not true. <gasps> what scandal! So I can't use that as a chat up line to men in bars anymore. You're telling men that you're their lobster and you're going to mate for life. Yes. <laughs> well, I
2: don't think they mate for life.
1: Can I just Google this? And then uh, it's about Rachel and Ross, obviously. And then Phoebe's like, see, he's her lobster. Apparently, actually,
2: a dominant male lobster mates with an entire harem of female lobsters. Oh, nothing changes. He mates with each female one at a time in a series of cereal flings that last about two weeks each. I've been
1: there, my friend. Hmm.
2: Yeah, you certainly <laughs> have. Um, I'm talking about lobsters this week because I went to Scotland, guys
4: and um
2: you had a very wholesome holiday didn't you? such a wholesome holiday mm. and part of the holiday we were in north berwick on the pier and just by the pier they had a lobster hatchery have you ever been to a lobster hatchery I have not do you mean they hatch they hatch the lobsters there because lobsters come in little eggs right what i did not know that. i did
1: not know that like i
2: guess it
3: makes sense now that I think about
1: it no but... like
2: like they have little eggs on their belly like shrimps and stuff Ew. Or like.
3: Mm, really no, never seen this. Ooh. I haven't really
2: thought about it so honest. So basically, um, this is called the Firth of Fourth Lobster Hatchery, and it was just an old like sea container thing. And basically, when they find lady lobsters who are pregnant, they um, take them in and just give them a nice place to have their babies, oh, and then like they a take, a take care refuge. of the babies. Yeah. It's Aww. like a women's refuge for lobsters, exactly.
1: And also, you'd probably be feeling pretty down after like Hank, the head lobster, has shagged you for two weeks and then gone on to your mate yeah exactly yeah yeah um and what
2: they do there is they um as well as taking care of the lady lobsters they carry out genetic analysis and support like the the lobster stocks and local livelihoods because there's lots of like lobster fishing around there um and it's educational i learned guys i learned so much about lobsters i can tell you're bristling with facts it was fantastic hannah
1: is visibly shaking i know (laughs) i always think it's weird about lobsters that they're like most unattractive thing you could ever see, but the most delicious thing to taste. Like, who was the first one to be like, I'll boil this and know, see if I'll it's nice? that go yeah. And obviously,
2: lobster's like a really kind of expensive thing, aren't they, these days? Like, yeah. you don't kind of go to a restaurant and decide you're having the lobster unless someone else is paying. And then I might do that. Yeah, I had
1: lobster mac and cheese when someone else was paying oh, once. It was amazing. absolutely delicious. Was it good? Oh, God, it was mm. so good.
2: Oh, But basically why it's so expensive um, is, A, because out of all of the eggs that a lady lobster will have, only either, okay, two conflicting figures here, 2% or 0.005% of those eggs will grow into a full adult lobster, <gasps> which is like none. Wow. It's such a low, it's such a small. So that's
3: why Hank has to have sex with the whole room. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. That's why he tells them anyway, Karen. Um, And
2: also, lobsters take ages to grow. Like, a a lobster that you eat at the restaurant could be like 15 years old. Wow. Really? Yeah. That's Oh, I feel really bad now. Like, if they're just like coming to a pop, you're just like, oh, well. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, apparently the lifespan is between 15 and 50 years. Generally, it's kind of estimated at 50 years? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Um, when they're little babies as well, because there were little baby lobsters sort of like in these tanks at the hatchery Uh and there was water kind of going in and churning um, the water around. Mm -hmm. And we asked why that was happening. And apparently it's because if the baby lobsters were all just sitting at the bottom, like chatting with each other, they would start to eat each other.
1: Oh, God! Oh, God, they're like hamsters of the sea. Oh,
2: do hamsters do that.
1: Yeah, they yeah. bite his head off. And stuff. Oh
2: God, that's awful. Um, and apparently, this continues into like adulthood. Sometimes, if lobsters see each other, they'll be like, Yep, yeah, I'm gonna have a, have a go at you." Uh, cannibals, horrible. Oh God, and so they not me to, like them anymore. I know. And so they kind of kept the water running in this little hatchery tank. And then when they get a little bit bigger, they literally section them off into tiny little like trays right. of their own because they can't they can't be around each other. Doesn't that kind of sound weird? So yeah, I really enjoyed um, seeing all of this. And uh, guys, I... Did my part. I sponsored a <gasps> lobster. You did. Not. I did. I sponsored a lady lobster that had had her eggs and was going to be released back into the wild. And I named her Lorraine. Oh, Lorraine. Lorraine. And she got released that same day, which is nice. Wow. And we now sponsor on... so much of the sea. I know. We do, yeah, I've got we... a seahorse. Exactly. You've got a lobster.
1: I don't have fuck all, guys. Aww. Well, next birthday or Christmas, okay, you know what you're getting a killer <laughs> <laughs> whale. Or a jellyfish. They're horrible, aren't they? No,
2: oh, yeah, please. I hate them.
3: No, give me something cute like a seal or a puffin. A puffin! Oh, a puffin! Okay,
1: great.
2: Okay, will give you a puffin. <laughs> so the thing about Lorraine as well is that um, of the eggs that she, you know, had sitting in her stomach, they would have been there for guess how long? 110 years. How old was Lorraine? Oh, I don't know. I mean, Lorraine is kind of more of an idea than an actual lobster. Okay. okay. Um, two hours. Two years, I mean. Nine to 11 months. Ooh, Such oh. a long time to have eggs sitting on your belly. Yeah. I know, I find that annoying. Yeah, really yeah. infuriating. Oh, no. Pregnant lobsters are called buried hens as well. <gasps>
4: oh, cute! I know, because they've cute. got little berries on
2: their belly, and they can have between 3,000 and 20,000 eggs oh, my just Lord. sitting on their stomach. That's How annoying lot. is that? Yeah, apparently uh, fishermen can often tell which lobsters are female, um, obviously because of boring stuff like their tails are wider or whatever, but also because when other fishermen see that it's female, they'll cut a little notch in its tail. Apparently this doesn't Aww. hurt them very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you can just kind of see it and be like, okay, she goes back in the sea.
1: Oh, she goes back oh in it's the nice sea. packed among all uh, so the fishermen. So the lobster that you probably eat in a restaurant is probably a bloke? Well, hopefully, yeah. Um, and also, lobsters moult. Did you know that? Ew.
2: Yeah. Like, so rather than their shell just kind of growing with them, they have to moult it off, as in it li- they literally break it off themselves, Ooh. and then they've got the soft shell underneath, and then it hardens, and they eat the old shell to get the nutrients to harden lobsters their current lobster. shell. love lobster. Oh, isn't that, that nasty? That is disgusting. Aside, soft shell crab isn't its own species. That's just literally a crab that's just molted its shell.
4: Ooh. Oh my God! I, know.
1: I did not know that. Facts, guys. Facts. God, I really want some softshell crab right now, though. Yeah. So
2: delicious. One of the best things that I found was about the world's oldest lobster. <gasps> so scientists haven't really found a good way to work out how old lobsters are. It's not kind of like trees or whatever where you can be like, it's got 17 rings on it. Um, and also they keep growing throughout their life mm-hmm. like because they keep molting they so an old lobster is a big lobster. Adult. well generally yeah but basically they just don't know exactly how to measure a lobster's age and so the oldest lobster apparently is 140 years old wow. or was in 2009 whether this guy's still alive we don't know he was released back into the wild
1: <gasps> i was gonna say surely someone can't like pop him in a like, seafood yeah. <laughs> yeah, platter.
2: Yeah, pop him in a seafood risotto. Yeah. yeah lovely. Um, it was a restaurant who kind of found him and were like, God, this guy's probably quite old, isn't he? It was a restaurant in New York called City Crab and Seafood Restaurant, and they displayed him in their case for a little while. But basically it turned out this guy, the restaurant owner, called Keith, had guessed that George was 140 years old. He weighed 20 pounds, which is nine kilos. Quite a lot. What's that in stones? It's like one and a half stone. Wow.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a lot. Did they release him back and have like a free willy moment where he just sort, of, but he just ambled <laughs> over the restaurant owner because he was 140. <laughs> so
2: the restaurant guy Keith had, um, you know, was talking to everyone and being like, right. I think the lobster's 140 years old because of its weight. And then he said to kind of back himself up I've been here for 12 years, and that's the biggest lobster I've ever seen. That's not factual, Keith. <laughs> that's anecdotal evidence, Keith. It's <laughs> anecdotal evidence. This is a scam. Um, I would watch the
1: film of. George the lobster
2: I know I would too yeah the, the main thing that this whole like lobster thing made me think of though was just Pinchy the lobster from, from the Simpsons! Simpsons Pinchy and I rewatched I watched like a sort of super clip of all the pinchy moments yesterday <laughs> does he just and like guys, turn, turn so up touching. randomly no so Homer wants to buy a lobster and they're really expensive and so he buys the cheapest one and decides to fatten him up and feeds him like eggs and bacon and stuff and takes him for walks oh. and then he gets put in a hot bar I know
3: oh. and he cooks him and then he
1: eats him Oh, yeah. God, that is traumatic. I know. Yeah, yeah. Lobsters Trudy. are delicious though, so do eat them. I've never had one, you know. Have you have you not even had it in anything? I don't think so. Well oh. we're gonna treat you tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So this week we have a brand new section brought to you by a brand new expert who will join us every now and then and who might die as soon as we get bored of them.
3: R.I.P. Richard Daniel. I still love him. This week we're introducing Women Who Glow, our wellness segment which will be hosted by meditation expert and disgraced goop editor Dr. Jane Frail. We're really excited to have Dr. Jane Frail here, honestly. It's actually kind of a big deal for us, Anna.
2: It is, yeah. No, we're really lucky because Dr. Jane is in London at the moment promoting her new book, The Power of Sit, How Sitting Down and Thinking Thoughts Can Make a Healthier, Happier, Wealthier You. Um, and actually, she's, I think she's just outside the door. Alex, do you mind going and grabbing her for us? Oh, yeah, sure. Hi, Jane! So... Oh,
3: how are you, Han? Yeah? Yeah, good, yeah. Cool. Dr
1: Jane Frail. Welcome. You're here. Oh, hello, my wee darlings. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the podcast. Oh, and we're so excited. I, I won't shake your hand, if you don't mind. I have very soft bones, and I'm afraid they bend very easily, even with the slightest contact. It's a very rare condition. Okay. My bones are basically a plastic ruler being held over a Bunsen burner, dear, for the length of a double science lesson. Very and visceral. also, uh, I've also just asked your uh, your friend to fuck off for a bit. Uh, sorry, I, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah. Uh, we're she, a swearing podcast. Oh, great. Yes, she sort of of breathed a bit heavily on me and I could just tell by her big fat face that she'd eaten white food today and I thought, that's a bit rude, isn't it? I mean, she knew I was coming and everything and I can't be around white food, as you know, dears. Um, So she's having a sit-down outside. I think she's crying.
3: Oh, I suppose... That's fine. Yeah, no, so- we
2: can go without Alex. That's, um, that's, that's yeah. fine.
3: You're here and Hannah has some questions.
2: Yeah, so Dr. Frail, you're here today um, to teach us how to meditate.
1: I am, dear. Now, I'm sure the both of you know what step one is in any successful meditation plan. What is it?
2: Um, I, I mean, I did have a quick read of your book. Um, is that emptying your mind?
1: Is that like being yourself? No, 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 girls. Step one to being a successful meditation person and having a successful meditation plan is having an enema. Sorry, an, an enema. An enema. A colonic. A hose up your shithole.
2: Oh, okay. Is that necessary then,
1: to to meditate? Oh, darling, if you haven't had a proper go with a shit pipe, your meditation will be about as useful as a fucking owl with a cricket bat. So book your colonic from your nearest day spa or health centre or Armenian butchers and make sure you only meditate within a 12-hour window of getting your arsehole completely flushed out or else the whole practice is fucking useless.
3: Sorry to interrupt you, Dr. Jane, and that does sound great, but everything I've read about meditation, it's more about like incorporating it into your daily life and making a space for everyday reflection.
1: Aye, aye, you're dead right if you're a fucking pussy. But how are you supposed to find that space in your everyday life for reflection if your arse is backed up with Turkish delight?
2: So you would recommend daily colonics then?
1: Aye, daily, yes. It's absolutely useless to expect to successfully meditate otherwise.
2: Well, Dr Jane, um, your publicist is waving violently at me through the door to indicate that we're out of time. Um, and you must be getting to your next
1: press appointment. You seem to be quite busy. Oh, I'm very busy, dear. I've got to go and uh, put a shippipe pipe up Dan Wotton from The Sun. <laughs> uh,
2: OK, so, uh, yeah, very best with your book. And uh, we'll talk to
3: you again very soon. Would you like a colonic right here, dear? No, but if you can send Alex back in, that would be good.
1: Oh, that bloody fat-faced devil. OK. <laughs> God, that was weird, guys. How did she know I had some raw dough for lunch? Intuition, I guess. I mean,
3: she's got no shit left in her body. She could probably hear
1: it. Yeah, That's true, actually, yeah. If you've got no shit, you use more percentage of your brain, don't you? That's the theory.
3: Yes. (laughs)
1: Caroline, if you had to name your favourite Mariah Carey flop, excluding her belly flop into the pool for her 1993 holiday to Corfu, what would you say it was? Ugh,
3: everyone knows the answer to that. It's Crossroads. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) What was the other failed movie that came out that year by a pop star? Glitter! So good. You know, there's still some people who maintain that that movie only flopped because it came out the weekend 9-11 happened.
2: Wow. I've never
3: heard
1: of this movie. Yeah, that's that's probably a good thing Yeah, Apparently it's awful
3: It is dog shit But what I'm actually here to talk about is Glitter the Substance
1: Mm. Yeah, it's quite What is it? Animal,
2: mineral, vegetable no, Ooh. it's like bits of plastic, isn't it?
3: That's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's bits of plastic. So it's it's uh, typical for like any sort of like aesthetic thing we ever cover on this show. Something that was done in ancient history in some weird way, which technically counts, but then was done again recently in the uh, post-war okay. period. So um, the Egyptians smashed up beetles. No, I know because you know their their sort of shells are all yeah, kind they're of kind shiny. of shiny. The Egyptians were so camp. I love they it. were. They were really camp. They also put henna on their fingernails, I learned today. Oh, um, And then, yeah, we, people kind of use sort of rhinestones and sequins and that kind of thing. And they had sort of like a glass glitter that they used. Um, but then during World War II, this guy discovered that he could just mash up loads of plastic and industrialize that process and sell it as glitter. And that's what we have now. Oh, wow. God, it makes you look so good on a night out. It really it? fucking does. And how did it help the war efforts? It made everyone just a bit more fabulous, I suppose. Just yeah. like, I suppose that's what blitz spirit really is. It's <laughs> yeah. actually a misprint. It's glitz spirit. Oh. <laughs> um, but what I'm actually properly fascinated about glitter is sort of like what it means, culturally speaking.
1: Oh, I always associate it with pride.
3: Yeah, no, as do I. And I think we sort of um, any kind of a, um, it's sort of a very quick and easy way of signifying to people that you're kind of down. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody who's got glitter all over the face like voted against gay marriage. Yes, right? you're totally
1: right. Or like Brexit or anything like that, I don't think.
3: Right? There's sort of it's sort of a weird symbol of being like, I have put sort of like a weird sequiny thing on my face. Yeah. And that shows you that I am cool with men kissing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah.
3: It's it's funny, isn't it? And I sort of that's the bit I'm really fascinated by because you don't think that about um Someone's got a little eyeshadow on, really. That can just be shit eyeshadow, you know? Someone's wearing a scarf. Yeah. Yeah. Scarf's a (laughs) scarf. Scarfs have no politics, as far as I'm aware. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I had a little dig into sort of the cultural history of glitter. And um, the biggest kind of moment glitter ever had in culture so far is the 1970s when we had Glamrock. Yes. Ah, okay. So Glamrock is said to have made its first official debut when Mark Bolin of T-Rex... Who is someone I thought about never before mm-hmm. today, but then ended up on a real deep dive with with Mr. Bolan, R.I.P.
1: I have snogged somebody on his grave. What? Not that's on his grave. Weird. Not on his yeah. grave. Um, like it's in, it's in Putney in Southwest London where he crashed into the tree, and there's still always like flowers there and a little grave. And I um, stopped because I loved Billy Elliot, the film and the soundtrack, all by T Rex, and that's how I got into Mark Bolan. I was like, oh my god, Mark Bolin's grave, and then I snogged right. a boy. Who I was with at the time. It's quite an aside. Sorry. Anyway, carry yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's quite an image to put in my head.
3: Yeah, he is sort of like um, Britain's James Dean in a way. Like, died young in a terrible yeah. accident.
1: 27 Club, I think. Was he? Yeah, I think so.
3: Oh, jeez. Um, and like James Dean, he had a sort of a really ambiguously sexual beauty. Mm. So his first ever appearance on Top of the Pops, he is sort of got this beautiful long curly black hair he's got these really like full lips these lovely bone structure wearing this kind of black satin shirt that's very now actually (laughs) Um, and he's got glitter under his eyes and he plays this song called Hot Love and it's like like a pretty fine 70s rock song but in that moment, in that cultural moment, it was sort of the debut of glam rock on a mainstream way. Right, okay. And so um the very soon afterwards, David Bowie started doing his um Ziggy Stardust era, which was all about sort of glitter, but not just glitter. It was sort of like his show started incorporating like mime and like different acts on stage, which was it was basically like blowing up what rock music could be. This right. thing that had yeah. become super, super masculine and making it like all about sort of bending the rules and you know what is gender what does masculine mean what does feminine mean which is so weird because it's a moment that we're having now really yeah, but yeah. I feel like we're not doing it in as much fun away. there's not as yeah. much glitter now I don't think
2: there was all we care about now Politics. is making people
3: fight on, on like sort of channel 4 <laughs> yeah. and rather than just celebrating the brilliance of sort of, of swaying within margins all with this sort of weird yeah. little tool that a child hmm. can afford you know yeah. and then where that came from so David Bowie and all them were sort of borrowing from this sort of cabaret culture, right? Which started in Germany with the Weimar Republic. I don't know oh. if you guys have seen like cabaret or any of those I haven't actually seen
1: it, but I do know about it and stuff. But.
3: It's a really, really good movie. Yeah. So th- these people were like, and, and other sort of like cabaret cultures that were cropping up all over the place. So Weimar Republic, sort of pre-World War Two, pre-Nazi regime, Germany. The good old days. The good old <laughs> days. Well, you know, it was horrible because it was like, Harold, mass unemployment and all this stuff but there was also this nightclub culture that was emerging for the first time Mm -hmm. where like people were you know openly bisexual people were openly gender ambiguous there was all these performers that would like perform in the nude and it was all about sort of like subverting the norm and Mm. their costumes were all about glittering It was all about sequins. So it's kind of like the people who run nightlife, it's their job to sparkle, but it's also like their job to like invert everything that we think of as normal. Yeah. And so unofficially glitter became their uniform that we could then all sort of like if they're the generals of subverting things. Then like we can
1: sort of take a piece of it yeah we're yeah. the foot
3: soldiers so when you put glitter on that's kind of what you're doing you're like let's sort of turn things upside down culturally Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, for a minute and that's what I think is so fucking cool about glitter because it makes me happy it makes me happy as well and you can kind of
1: you can kind of go out in like a fairly normal outfit like a going out outfit and it'll be fine but put a bit of glitter on your face or on your hair or on your chest or whatever and it's like Wow, we're going jazzy! Like <laughs> it, <laughs> like adds a new
3: bit of like it adds a level of daringness. Yeah, as well. yeah. same with any kind of face paint or clip-on hair extensions or whatever yeah. it is. It, it like sort of. Makes you feel like you're sort of another kind of a creature almost. If it's night and you're out and you've got this face full of crap I'm then like, yeah, 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 it does sort of like give you a bravery, doesn't it? And it, and it does, yeah. It's
2: kind of a self awareness, isn't it, of being like, I, I'm on a night out. I've made an effort to put glitter on. I know I've got glitter on. You know I've got glitter on. You know no I'm up one for has laugh. to pretend. Like, like, yeah, yeah.
1: And it is, it is like a mini. Okay, I don't want to get too too like pretentious in a way, but it is like a mini sort of armor of like. Yeah, fuck you! I'm having a great night. Like, and it is. kind of, I went to Stink the pink recently, uh, which is like. A, if anyone doesn't know, it's a big. It was on Pride, and it's a big sort of drag queen night. Get celebration mm-hmm. of all sexualities, um, and I had loads and loads of pink glitter on my eyes, and I just felt amazing. Yeah. Like, oh
3: yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I went to a festival a few yeah. months ago, and I had like a full face of face paint with glitter all over, and in my hair and stuff. And you do feel like not yourself you like feel taken outside of yes. the normal realm because you don't i think part of it as well that you don't have that in your normal life you don't go into work with like glitter yeah. in your hair. Or I know. Whatever. When you've got it on, you're like, why
1: do I not always do- wear this? It's like <laughs> amazing.
2: One thing I want to ask you guys about, though, because um, the last time I encountered glitter it was at my friend's house party, and um, and someone brought glitter, but it was the glitter that was like you have the glue and then you have the glitter separately. Yes. And in that context, it felt really strange because we weren't going on a night out or anything. We were just kind of like in her flat, like chatting about stuff. Yeah. And then everyone had to have glitter on their faces. And by the way, glitter. All over her oh, flat. We, her we it like, five times. <gasps> that yeah, that's is never going anywhere. It's just like sand. No, it's never going to leave. It's never going to leave. But yeah, I don't know. I kind of felt a bit like it was out of context there. But did you feel like it lifted the mood of the night for some people? But I was kind of just like, oh. Did it feel like enforced
3: fun for you? Yes. Yeah, I oh. think that's the problem. I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. I know. I don't yeah, think she does. Okay, great. <laughs> Yeah, no, I definitely think you could do the same with, like, transfer tattoos. Sometimes I just sort of bring them over to a mate's house just for the
1: yeah. for the laugh sometimes. I got one of them in a restaurant the other day. I think Did you? Yeah. And then I had to go into a very flashy men's mag the next day and I had chicken sours written on my hand. <laughs> <laughs> transfer <laughs> tattoos. great. Because
2: I guess, yeah, it is saying, like, we're here to party. But if you're kind of not there to party, you're there to, like, eat some dips and, like, you yeah. know, ch- chat to some new people who you don't know. Then it, it kind of felt a bit
3: like... Uh, it does seem like a misappropriation of glitter, yeah. Mm. I think um, we should all endeavor to have a bit more glitter in our lives. Though. I agree. Mm. Very agree. Hard agree. Um what I also find very interesting is um the practice of glitter bombing.
1: What's that? Oh yes, I've heard of this, but I'm not
3: f- I'm not totally sure what it is. So it sort of started when LGBT activists would um, throw glitter at Right-wing politicians who were trying oh. to deny them their rights.
1: Oh, this is great! Yeah, yeah. I do know who it is. So yeah.
3: people like Newt Gingrich, all the. Oh, by the way, aside, all the right-wing American politicians sound so evil. By the name, they sound so like Newt Harry I was about to say
1: Harry Potter evil. Yeah. Yeah,
3: they really do. It's very nominative determinism. Mm. Um, Michelle Bachman, who was one of the leading members of the Tea Party, she's been glitter bombed a bunch. Great, which I love. It's and just it's-
1: such a wonderful way of like making them feel embarrassed it's, by yeah, something that it's should it's be quite fabulous. Like, harmless, be like, isn't it? Yeah. And be like,
2: Huh but they'll never get it out of their head. Totally,
3: yeah. yeah. And i and I love that it's been co opted by the LGBT community because yeah. like it's very much like There's something about the fact that it's so beautiful but also you can't get it off. Yeah. You can outrun us no matter how hard you try. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like this and like the judgment of this will literally stick to your skin and everyone will see. Yeah.
4: Yeah. You'll you'll be finding us in your bum
3: crack for four days. (laughs) You're going to shit glitter whether you like it or not. Michelle. Yeah. And then there was that sort of famous thing where um, you could send glitter to your enemies. Do you remember that? Oh, oh yeah. there was a website yes. for that. I know,
1: like a woman that did that to her cheating boyfriend. No Why? way! And sent it to his, sent like a big envelope to his work, and it was full of glitter because it just goes everywhere. <gasps> and it's then genius. every time anyone in the office saw glitter, they were like, "Oh, Henry, huh? <laughs> cheating bastard, Henry."
3: Totally, yeah. I mean, that, that, that was like set up by someone who was just doing it to like have a laugh and make a few quid. But after a while, they got so exhausted by requests, they were like, <laughs> "I'm not doing this anymore. It's not even worth the fucking <laughs> five dollars or whatever." Yeah. Also, you know, glitter like microbeads has become one of those things that like we're supposed to not care about any or not do anymore because it's bad oh,
2: for the shit. environment. Yeah, because, because that, it is yeah. made of plastic. Let us have glitter. I, I don't... do. I don't want glitter if it's killing fish. I'm sorry. Like we could surely. There's like biodegradable. No, glitter. let's
1: tell China to stop pumping tons of plastic into the sea and let's have pretty eyes. I also agree with Alex. Really? Oh, god. No, see, you know, see, the thing is, okay, I'm all, of all about... Of the things, glitter is the least, you know.
3: Yeah, you use like, what, a gram of it twice a year. Yeah. Come on. Um, but So I, I just think that, this is my sort of an aside that I've been thinking about for a while. I think the responsibility to be a conscious consumer seems to always fall on women and what women like. Yeah. So face washes, microbeads, women, get rid of them. Glitter, get rid of that. Fur, if you, if you have like an 80-year... For a coat, people will still judge you for it, even though the animal is long, long dead. But no one is throwing blood on men's leather. You know what I mean? I feel like yeah. women are more yes. likely to feel guilty, and therefore, like people will pick on them more. about But also, their things. that's
2: because people make more beauty products and more kind of like you know skincare products for women because we've been told to beautify ourselves. That's true. And then to sell them, they have to make them more interesting and put more like different kind of bits in
3: them. And that is definitely true. And I definitely think that things like microbeads we don't need them and they were just sort of put in as a sort of a bit of a laugh anyway as you say just to make a novelty and I definitely think that when it comes to tampons we should all be making conscious efforts to phase them out of our cycles because that is a massive landfill but I think things like glitter as I say it's two grams a couple of times a year
1: is it really hurting the dolphins? If that yeah and also the dolphins would look fabulous with (laughs) (laughs) the I say we combine the tampons and the glitter and we all go to Houses of Parliament, stuff a load of glitter up ourselves, then a tampon, pull the tampon out like a sort of party popper and (laughs) glitter period all over there. Oh, that would be so good. Amazing, yes. Yes. Yes.
2: I'm down with that responsible use of glitter. Yeah, that would be excellent. Agreed,
1: we've solved the problem. Alex, you look like all your Christmases have come at once today. Why is that? Find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life, Caroline. I've decided to talk about my favourite person in the world, bar you two, obviously. Thank you. David Beckham. Now, I know that usually we have to teach each other about something you don't know anything about, but I challenge you in this section to ask me anything <gasps> Ooh. about David Beckham, and I'm fairly confident I mean, try not to go too obscure first. Warm me up. Not you know? like,
2: what did he have for dinner in March 1992
1: on Thursday? Oh, well, he, would, he would have only been 20. He would have <laughs> been 19, so probably. Although he was at United's training camp, so he probably was eating something very good. <laughs> do they have good food, though, do you think? Yeah, really good. Yeah? Maybe not in 92. but nowadays it's like super, you know. Yeah, what kind of thing, though? Oh, just like vegetables, Chicken. You know, Chicken fairy boy,
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. So for our international listeners who somehow might not have heard of David Beckham, or even for our UK listeners who may not have heard of him,
1: okay, somehow, let me give like a little ode to yeah. David Beckham. do you want to do a bit yeah. of background? If you, I mean, if you don't know who David Beckham is, you know, I don't know who you are. But also, if you don't, fine. David Beckham was a footballer, but now he's so much more than that. He mm-hmm. is the nation's sweetheart. He was a footballer. He married Posh Spice from the Spice Girls, Victoria Beckham, Victoria Adams at the time. Uh, and they've got four lovely children together. And he's just, I mean, I've honestly loved him since I was 10. That's why I support Manchester United, Aww. because I just loved him. I mean, I did fancy him, sure. But mm. um, I just feel like... Everybody can't help but love him. And even, you know, me and Caroline have this thing where we're like, what could the Beckhams do that would make you hate them? And I don't know what they could do. It would have to be
3: pretty severe. They'd and there would have, it to, have, have to... to be a lot of evidence yeah. for it. It would have They'd to, have to yeah. be, like, yeah. something on tape.
1: Yeah, that of him being, like, racist or something. Like... No,
3: he'd have to literally be taking a piss on those Thai boys that rescue rescued from the cave. <sighs> that would be the level. <laughs> even that, I'd be like, he was having a laugh! <laughs> They loved it. Um, The thing about David Beckham, which is so interesting, is that he's ageing the way Brad Pitt was supposed to age. Yes. And he's getting the public profile that Jamie Oliver was supposed to get. Yes!
1: Oh, my God, I could not have put
3: it better. He is getting all their Christmases at once. Yeah.
1: And, like, let's not skirt around the issue. There is, you know, alleged misgivings of Mr. Beckham that, uh, you know... There are always rumours circulating that perhaps he's not totally faithful to Victoria. And um, I'm not going to touch on that because legally I can't. Uh, but let's just take that out the equation, shall yeah, we? Let's okay. not pretend we have a legal team. No. It's really just us. Yeah. <laughs>
2: if we get sued, you guys, the listeners, yeah. are
1: going to have to help us. And also, I, you know, in a way, I hope he's very footloose and fancy free and that they've got an open relationship because that means we might all be in with a shot. Oh. <laughs>
3: would you? You would? Yeah. Okay. obviously how could you not are you mad it's Beckham <laughs> it's Beckham you probably have to sign an NDA before you do anything though I would yeah. sign
1: my life away I'd yeah. give him you know my life savings aka my overdraft <laughs> <laughs> and also Beckham you know it's easy to dismiss him stuff like that but I think he's one of the most mainstream people that you are still not embarrassed to absolutely love yeah you that's know? true yeah um I also think you know he did a lot for men's you know toxic masculinity and stuff like that I mean he came out in the sarong in I think it was like 1998 and everyone was like oh my god he's wearing a skirt and like for somebody who actually was extremely shy at the time like he's not so much now but when you see the early interviews of him and Victoria he's so shy and he's so like quiet and stuff like that but he was happy to like you know bleach his hair and wear a skirt and like push the boundaries the and, yeah. yeah and I just I love his influence on pop culture I love that I used to like go to the swimming pool on a Saturday and see little lads with like Mohicans yeah and every, so, like,
2: everyone I remember so clearly everyone at primary school yeah. all the boys had his haircut whatever his haircut yeah. was yeah they would have it
3: there are so few male figures who can do that yeah do you know what I mean obviously there are a handful of female celebrities who whatever decade you're looking at they're like oh what they do the young girls are doing yeah exactly it so rarely happens with boys absolutely
1: and I just I love that influence on like the day-to-day working class culture that he had and the fact that he just seems like a really nice guy do you think he's clever? no Okay. But I don't think he needs to be. Like, he was a great footballer. He's a good Ooh, person. He does a lot know. for charity. I think he is clever. I don't think he's as thick as people think he is, but right, I don't yeah. think he's clever.
2: But presumably his kind of, you know, his PR is done by someone else, right? And his kind of like.
1: Yeah, of course, but I think he he's got an instinctual. Knowledge of what it takes to be a brand and a celebrity, but also someone that everybody loves. Yeah, because what's
2: what's he been doing? He quit football a couple of years uh, ago? He quit football,
1: no. Because he he went to LA Galaxy, didn't he? He quit football about four years ago now, four or five years ago. And
2: what's he been doing since then?
1: Um, Well, I actually wrote a piece for Shortlist that never got published (gasps) because I think it was just... uh, too gushing. It was too. It was too much. Like you just want to write about David Beckham, but they did let me write it, um, and it was called "David Beckham is bored" because I think every, ever since <laughs> ever since he quit football, bless him, he just doesn't know what to do with himself. So like he's launched a whiskey, he launched Hague Club, he's bloody bought a football team from Miami, and that's what he's overdoing now. He's setting oh. up an entirely brand new football club, which is wow. a giant job. But he he just wants something to do. Like he's got OCD. I don't know if people know that. Oh, yes, I, I remember seeing yeah. that
3: from a from a Jonathan Ross interview he yeah, did, yeah, which yeah. I often watch when I'm hungover. That long Jonathan Ross interview he did.
1: Yes, it's lovely yeah. when,
3: he, when he talks about how
1: his wife is still posh in his phone. Oh the cutest thing I've ever heard. I just and also the Beckhams love each other so much on Instagram, like the whole family, I mean. Like the kids and everything. And I've served the kids in a restaurant. I used to be a waitress and they were in there with Gordon Ramsay, his wife and his kids. And they were the nicest, most polite, genuine kids. Like considering they had no staff there, no bodyguards, nothing. They were just out for like burger and chips and they were like please may I have this? And I was like, yes, you can. See, this fruit. is the Aww. thing about the Beckhams.
3: Obviously, you know, when you live in London, you work in the media, you come across your fair share of people who have, you know, been around famous people yeah. even in the smallest way. And you, you talk to people about James Corden, for example, and almost everyone's got a terrible story. Oh, it's a but if you talk to people about any of the Beckhams, even Posh, who obviously has a very yeah. austere kind of profile, they're like the nicest people you'll ever meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's why I find it so weird that James Corden and David Beckham are really good friends. But I think it's the thing of, you know, the Queen thinks the world smells of fresh paint because Mm -hmm. everyone's just painted (laughs) it. David Beckham thinks James Corden is nice because James Corden is nice to David Beckham. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know what I
3: mean? I think James Corden's nice to a lot of people. I think he's just crapped a lot of women, apparently. Yeah, yeah, and like people that... Unfortunately, women are are people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As we found in in recent studies. Very inconvenient. As
1: was revealed in 2017. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, men universally sort of, especially in this country and and maybe not so much Europe or whatever, but British men love him. Like a lot of straight men don't have any qualms with like really, really admiring him, um, talking about how much they love him, talking about how good he looks all the time. Um, So, yeah, and I asked um, a man why he thinks men love David Beckham so much. I asked Carl Palmer, who is a big fan of the podcast. Uh, and who I've worked with regularly, and who often posts similar posts to me about how much he loves David Beckham. <laughs> um, he said it started with the way he recovered from the setback of the sending off. Of course, the very famous when he was sent off against Argentina, and everybody said if he hadn't have been sent off, we would have won the game, and we would have gone through in the World Cup. I have no idea you're talking about. No, right? no, me neither. What? No. When when is, you, you have to presume less knowledge. About okay, David Beckham. so we were playing against Argentina in the World Cup. Um, I'm not, f- I'm not exactly sure of the year. I think it was around. It might have been 98, actually. It was 98, sorry. Beckham got tackled and he was on the floor and it face down. And the guy who tackled him was stood behind him. And Beckham kicked his lower leg up and it hit the guy. And the guy dived yeah. to the ground. I mean, it wasn't... It, it was barely a touch. But because the ref just saw David Beckham kick his foot and the guy hit the ground, David Beckham got sent off. Right. Did so, he do it on purpose? I don't know. I think he just sort of meant it as a bit of a... Like a bit of a push... But yeah. nothing, nothing but like you can't sending do that off. With footballers exactly because like, ah! he just the guy just went to the floor. Right, Beckham got sent off. Beckham was known for free kicks he was the saviour of the games he could take a penalty he could take, do like any set pieces he was the one he was the star even in 98 and he got sent off and then we lost the game and he got blamed for it and he went from basically this star on the rise of what he is now mm-hmm. but um, the nation hated him the, the sun printed his uh, face on the front with a dartboard, board I think there was effigies of him I don't um, remember this yeah it was no, absolutely crazy um, considering the next time we went through to the World Cup was when he broke his metatarsal and the sun had like rub his magic foot on the front of the paper and like everyone was like pray for the foot and all this stuff and he and he scored the last minute equaliser for the euros so we could go through to the against greece and he scored the like he was then a hero again but he like very very southgate isn't it really southgate like he's talked about how low he was how it really really affected him i mean seeing effigies of yourself by england fans yeah that's horrendous you know he was like he was like public enemy number one because he'd
3: lost us the World Cup, which obviously he hadn't, but like... And there was always that thing as well when he was doing badly in football for any reason that they people would... Use his public profile and the way he liked to explore fashion. He seems yeah. to genuinely like his own girlfriend. Yeah yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. All that stuff. They sort of use that to sort of demasculate him. Yeah, exactly. Or emasculate him. Sorry. And,
1: and in a way, I think he's been really strong with that. He's always been like, I'll wear what I want. I'm going to experiment with my hair. I'm totally. going to marry a pop star who I sought out and like always fancied, and I want to have a family really young. And I've always wanted that, and I want my kids to be brought. You know, he has retained like a really strong sense of self. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's Despite true. the fact that like a lot of footballers are just like, oh, I'll just do whatever.
3: I know. Yeah. So that's the thing when you people say like, oh, you know, Beckham's a dancer or whatever or he's not clever. was like, maybe he's not academic Booksmart or academic yeah. or whatever but he clearly has a very yeah. strong sense of purpose in self mm. and yeah. you have to have a huge amount of intelligence on some level to Absolutely. do that.
1: Absolutely. He's got like a, lo- a lot of social intelligence. I think he wants to learn a lot of stuff. Apparently he could almost speak fluent Spanish when he was at Real Madrid but he never did it in public for fear that he would get one thing wrong and then he would be ridiculed. Aww. Which is, you know, because everyone said he was stupid or whatever. And he loves um, Lego. And he loves Lego. Does he? Yeah. I just love, like, Dad Beckham now. Like, he loves his kids so much. He's, like, semi-retired. He's building them Lego stuff. Oh. He's discovered gifts on Instagram stories. (laughs) The biggest
3: gift to womanhood ever was when Harper was a really small baby and he was carrying around the place oh my god I can't even talk about that because my like,
1: uterus like, actually like jumped out and
3: like... I know like fit men holding babies obviously always great fit men holding their tiny daughters oh. and they've waited so long for their daughter <laughs> he just wanted a little girl, <laughs> a girl. Ah, gender's never been more important oh god <laughs> he did us.
1: he just wanted a little girl to spoil <laughs> It's too much, lads. Too much. Yes, so just so to go back now that I've explained that to you, uh, Carl said. It started with the way he recovered from the setback of the sending off and the way the country turned on him. He stood firm against it and won people back around him with his footballing talent. Then as he's retired from football, he's been pivotal in things like the Olympic bid and he's moulded himself fully into the nation's dad. He's flash but not in your face. He's an idiot yet a genius. He's a brand that it's okay to be a fan of. Plus, he's hair goals, fashion goals, dad goals, life goals. Wow, that's very poetic. I just feel happy when I see him.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree with you.
1: And there's a, there was an interesting... I couldn't find it today. I was trying to find the evidence of it, but I did watch a documentary on sports psychology once that was saying when Beckham... Because when he got a little bit older and he wasn't... He was never the best player ever, but right. he just trained mm. so hard at free kicks that that was his thing. He could absolutely always guarantee a goal if we could get a free kick, yeah. essentially. Um, so I was trying to find this study today uh, that said, that I saw years ago, that said basically, even when he wasn't really, he shouldn't have really been in the team, in the England team, mm. he was kept in it because if he ran on as a sub, the whole Atmosphere. place would lift. Oh, yeah. wow. He like, was good for morale. He was basically like a sports psychologist's dream. because, that, And that even when he was retired from English football, I don't know if you remember, it wasn't that long ago, it was about maybe eight years ago. Um, I think it was at the world, yeah, the World Cup maybe eight years ago. They let him go on the sidelines in a grey and lilac suit. Um, and and just sort of like encourage the team he had like no real role but he just wanted to be there so much and he just he loves football he loved playing football like you could say he was a brand and all this whatever you can say all that that's all completely true and he's like released a perfume or whatever but he absolutely loved being a football player and he was like so proud to play for England and he didn't want to give up but he had to so David Beckham the best of us all I know I just think he is I'm sorry guys I just think like do you know I... I think
3: as well I think how you know that someone's not just a celebrity but they're an icon yeah. is when anyone regardless of how old they are or what gender they are or what their persuasion is could have them as their phone background yes do you know and Nan could have David Beckham as her phone background or and an eight year old boy like, could yep
1: yeah. yeah if my boyfriend had it I'd be like yeah oh, i got a boyfriend It'd be yeah, nice yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah also just like that's absolutely fine I mean you didn't ask me many questions in the end because I just let's have a quick fire okay quick fire go on oh um,
2: first pet's name Oh no idea. <laughs> um, first girlfriend. Oh,
1: um, don't know. <laughs> Are you that much of an expert? Oh, favorite favorite food. just had a few wanks. Favorite <laughs> favorite food is pie and mash from Bethnal Green and jelly deals. Oh, I feel like you just said that to keep a certain on journalist the, happy. No, honest to God. Uh,
2: favorite book.
3: Oh, I don't think he reads books, Anna. Favorite TV show. Seems
2: um, like a wire
1: kind of guy. He, he's always posting like on his Instagram stories about watching action films. He's Aww. always watching like a Jason Statham film and being like, "This film is, is really Aww. good." And I'm like, "David, why are you filming it? Just watch it." Favorite child. Ooh. Oh, I think it's Harper, isn't it? Is
3: it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just feel like of British culture, David Beckham is the Queen and Posh is the Prime Minister. Yeah. you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. passing all the laws of like what's cool and what's not cool of what what's acceptable in our culture? Yeah. But everyone wants a picture with the Queen, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs>
1: And like, I feel a bit sorry for Posh as well. Like She's tried so hard to be accepted into fashion. She's tried really, really hard she to is, change though, that. She is, not she? She is, but I still feel like there's that, you know, that sort of part of her inside of her that's just like, I'm just trying to be with the cool people. She is She is cool now, but, mm-hmm. like, there's still that inside her own mind, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And then David Beckham this year got appointed onto the British Fashion Council and also has his own label at, like, Men's Fashion Week. And it's just like, God, he's just effortless. And
3: that's sexism for you. I know. Come on, that's, that is what that is. Oh, it is, right?
1: but it's not his fault.
3: Not, no, it's not their fault, it's Nothing Jen's is fault. his
1: fault, Caroline. He can do no wrong. All praise, the Lord and Saviour, David Beckham.
2: Now, a few years ago, if a woman wanted to have sex with a man, all she had to do was sit through a double showing of Saving Private Ryan and Das Boot... Now, however, it's all about enjoying horror movies in an intelligent and artistic way. And that's what today's Smart Lesson is all about. Before,
1: you could at least say that you didn't want to watch someone get their eyeballs dug out with a hot spoon. But now (laughs) horror movies are, like, respectable and there's no excuses for it.
3: So that's why I've invited Cartoon Network writer and comedy writer-performer from Kill the Beast, Natasha Hodgson, to teach us how to watch horror. Natasha's credits include The Amazing World of Gumball, Bravest Warriors, and her own play, Director's Cut, which is at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, the 21st, the 27th of August at the Pleasance Theatre. Hi, Tash. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Just really pleased this has been framed as a mission to get everyone more
0: sex. Yes. I'm, I'm fully into that. Yes, please. Yeah. But yeah, um... I've been, because of my theatre horror, all my theatre company stuff is horror comedy. And so after a childhood and teenhood of absolutely abhorring watching horror films, I've now spent the last seven years watching a whole bunch. So yeah, I feel qualified to let you know the ones that you should go for and avoid. But like, was this the same? Were you also just hated watching horror films is Yeah, as I never
2: really watched them that much. And when I did, I was just like, why do people enjoy these? Yeah. This
0: isn't
3: fun. Yeah, why make yourself physically and emotionally uncomfortable for two and a half hours and not know what's going to happen? And you might say horrible things that you can't unsee. Like, but, what's the joy there? Well, this is the thing, but apparently it's like, because I was reading
0: about, like, why? <laughs> why? <Hey! laughs> and obviously it's because um, basically the stuff in your brain that triggers pleasure is basically the same as pain it's just like with slightly more dopamine if it's pleasure and people have different receptors and so which is why some people get a load of kicks out of watching horror films because the dopamine is like super triggered they're like i'm loving this death (laughs) and other people just like but why not the flowers
1: (laughs) why not not intelligent
0: character-based comedies yeah it is Um, a bit like
1: self-harm for me actually the relationship because i i have a really vivid imagination i get so scared not during the film, bad enough. After the film, worse. Yeah. Um, but I do yeah. sort of. Me and my best friend do do have like a little thing where every time a really horrible one comes out, we'll go and see it together because it's apparently the same thing that bonds you where you have shared trauma. Well, yeah, oh. and that's and that's also
0: why people like watching the results. It's like it's a very like rowdy. It's like the same as yeah. comedy, like in that way. In that like, it's very much a collective experience when you're watching horror yes. film. In that you're just grasping at any human being to show you that you're alive and yeah, not yeah, going to yeah. die <laughs> this experience. Yeah, which like apparently I think is a good you, thing
1: I think if you watch horror on your own, you're. A about yeah, one. it's like yeah. horror
0: or comedy, I feel like. If you're just on your own, although I watch comedy on my own all the time, but, yeah, same, you know, yeah, fine. Also. But, <laughs> like, yeah, just sitting on your own, just, just cracking on the woman in black just yeah. a, <laughs> of an evening. It's like, what are
1: you... What's your I deal? I honestly couldn't do that. I'd have to go to stay in a hotel if I watched that on my own. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't be able to stay Get in my out out house. the room where it
0: happened, even though it didn't happen there.
3: It's funny, though, that you talk about no. horror and comedy because sort of one befits the other, doesn't it? Yeah, well,
0: this is the thing. This is why I ended up sort of watching, like classic horror and modern horror because the thing about horror horror and comedy is that they're basically the same in that it's all about tension and release and it's all Uh, build up and release and there's sort of the sort of like music of both of those things runs through but I think in terms of watching them if you are like me scared all the time I'm so jumpy as well I'm like yeah, I saw yes. a bag once and just jumped.
2: Like, no. <laughs> I it, jump when I open a door and there's someone behind it. I'm like, oh!
0: Yeah, I'm just opening the door to a, to a person who's supposed to be there. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. no, way. So I think like there are rules you have to follow, which is ideally you're watching it with someone who has seen the film before. Oh,
2: really? Oh, oh, oh yes, I thing. find that very effective. Yeah, yeah. very yeah.
0: effective. And someone that you trust who... Who, because basically, what you want to do is you, you need to respect the atmosphere of the film. So, there's no, you can't watch it in like broad daylight. Nice. People who say to you, like, hey, just watch it in the day when you've got like cereal. And no. You're like, no, like, that is completely. Commit or quit. Yeah, exactly. Commit. Yeah. Like, show, show some goddamn respect yeah. to junk <laughs> after. Um, so, yeah, you have to watch it at night. But I think it's permissible to kind of say to, to like, shoot, like, to get rid of your anxiety, watch the film with someone who's watched it before, who can before. Because usually in a good horror film, there's like three bits, right? There's uh-huh. like the bit that's the bit that's the horrible bit. And yeah. like in a good horror film, there's like maybe yeah three, four of those, the worst bits. And using this person's that you trust judgment, you, I think like you get a couple of passes to be like, for them to be like, just, you know, in 10 seconds, <laughs> something very bad is going to happen. <laughs> like I've employed this technique to very helpful... Yeah, um situations before watching it, the new Stephen King. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Right,
2: right. So you're kind of you're sitting there with your friend who's the nice person and they've watched the film before. What else can you do to enjoy the experience? Try and mitigate the, the yeah. experience.
0: <laughs> well, it, it really really depends on whether what you want to do is enjoy it in its full full flow, which is kinda of like you just have to you just surrender hunker down <laughs> and surrender. Yeah. That is as a coward, not my method. <laughs> Um, I think what you can do is just kind of like it, you, basically yeah the the sheet is the bad stuff almost always happens in the nighttime scenes so just whenever there's a daytime scene just enjoy yourself Relax. you know yes. get yourself Check get yourself a, a get yourself a snack have a nice time like that is your that's your time to shine <laughs> um, you're safe now you're safe now and I think as well like I really just don't think you should feel bad about like having an item that you can put yeah, in front of you your face. Yeah, would you advocate
2: hiding behind pillows?
0: I genuinely... If that is what it takes for you to get through this film, yeah, I always feel safer because I think often it's kind of, hey, you can just close your eyes, but there's something that feels like... You, when you have such a visceral response to horror, which everyone does, which is part of the reason it's so great, like, you just literally want to cower. Yeah. And I think sort of really... There's almost the kind of the drama of that and the kind of play of it and sort of really leading into the fact that you're scared somehow kind of makes it less frightening because yeah. then you bo- you're sort of entering into a game whereby... You're really scared, and there's a cowering, and there's a cushion, and someone's having to put their arm around you. Like I think, sort of playing up how ridiculous the situation yeah, is, kind of leaning into it, yeah, yeah, leaning into it completely, yeah. and not being afraid to do that because I think the worst thing you can do is a be around people who don't know that you're scared of horror films and that you that, and, and trying that the whole time to feel like you're okay yeah. because I think all that does is like go on and on make make your fear. So much more like like squared because you're also worrying about what other people are thinking of you. Mm -hmm. And And I I also think if
3: you do that, you're more likely to ingest the fear later. Yeah, you'll you'll have more nightmares. You'll have more uneasy feelings about it. You'd be like, try and like have this uh, this outward appearance of being fine. in the room. Then tomorrow on the bus, you'd be like, he's going to
1: murder me. (laughs)
0: you're just vibrating. Bus is on the way to hell. (laughs) (laughs) I would also
1: say eat something fun while you're watching it. Oh yeah, and eat
0: something beforehand as well. I would say like have a meal. Yeah. before you watch the film. And also then, yeah, busy yourself throughout with mm. a snack that you yeah, can... Yeah, I'd like quite a complicated snack would be my... Yeah, be a tip. Mm. maybe. A Yeah, yeah. Machos. Machos. yeah. 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 I think have, have a meal that you can sort of, like... Go back to as and when you need to do that thing. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, guys, I'm just gonna. They're going up the stairs. Are they? I'm just gonna go. Greg, get and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just whacking some shit. Who's anyone? Who's anyone?
3: I'm going out for the Domino's collection. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Don't pause it. Yeah. No, no. In the next
3: town along.
0: Yeah. So
1: just honestly, yeah. I'm gonna be one. She's wild. looking for the monster, but she hasn't switched the light on. So uh, it's, it's all going really well. Yeah.
2: Would you say there's a difference between watching a horror film at the cinema or an, and at home, and which would you?
0: Which, because which cinema you can't escape. are differences between them? Always at home. Never cinema. Oh, really? (laughs) I mean, again, like, I'm sure for actual people who know and love horror films in a proper way, they would say the cinema experience is one. But I just feel like, again, it's all about, like, mitigating your natural anxiety whilst still embracing and enjoying the experience. And I think putting yourself in a situation whereby you're going to embarrass you, or you feel like you might be embarrassed, or that you're trapped, or that it's just really fucking overwhelming is just a recipe for disaster. Whereas, like, if you're at your home you know, you know where all the walls are. They're not going to jump out. Yeah. There. Probably no killers are there. Whereas yeah. in the cinema, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, like, fair. it's just, but again, it, that, it's that balance of you do it in your house, but you do it at nighttime. You do it with all the things drawn. You do it with a few candles. Like, it's, it's sort of creating for yourself, like, a little illusion that you are completely safe and happy with. Um, versus sort of entering into a sort of society situation that has dictated all those things for you and could add an element of stress.
2: That's interesting because for me, like I think I've only ever seen like one horror film at the cinema and I can't for the life of me remember what it was called. But what I quite liked about it was that I I knew I was in a cinema and I kind of knew that like it was a performance in Mm. a way, whereas if you're at home, your guard is down, you're kind of like, oh, I'm just at home, this is just normal life. And so it kind of, almost like the film kind of creeps in to you as a being more yeah. easily whereas in the cinema I was kind of like there's me and
1: there's the screen and there's all these people yeah and, and there's also the, get the get pageantry
3: you. of everyone being frightened together it's very
1: yeah, like being really, on the yeah. ride yeah. Yeah. yeah also you ha- you can't go to bed on your own if you watch it in your own house because you're like
0: it's upstairs <laughs> yeah this is the thing I like my other tip would be watch something funny oh, straight completely. You know, oh I, I always do yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah completely yeah, yeah. always always like even if you don't think you're that Scared? you will be like, yeah oh, whatever. Like I would always. I mean, I my go-to with my theatre company, and they'll love me for telling you this, is we watch an episode of Don't Tell the Bride. <laughs> oh brilliant! That is perfect. <laughs> it's just yeah. so good. You know, yeah. it's got everything Nothing you need. Nothing scary happens there. Nothing scary. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in some ways, it is a horror film all itself. Yeah, <laughs> but in, in more in more manageable manageable ways. Um, so
3: tell us a little bit more about director's cut and what people can expect from it.
0: So yeah, so yeah, the new show which is going to Edinburgh is um, very sort of yeah, it's inspired by all the kind of this kind of stuff. It's set on a um, B movie. 70s horror. Uh, Ooh, set. I like it already. Yeah. It is it, actually sort of um it's they're sort of filming the sequel to Rosemary's Baby. Although it's never sort of it, it doesn't really matter if you know but in our heads and hearts they're filming the sequel to Rosemary's Baby. But the uh just rather when they're about to finish filming it the lead actress storms off set after an argument and uh, and dies. Oh. Uh, and so they have to scramble to kind of replace her for the final few shots and that's sort of where the film be- where the um, film where the show begins. And then it's just uh it's about the vengeance of this spirit of the lead actress who doesn't want this film to get finished because it's so Dreadful. And it's like, yeah, this sort of haunted comedy where it's like, fast and things going wrong as uh, this ghost desperately tries to fuck up this film with a, a like, harassed
3: director trying his very best to get it finished.
1: Wow. Oh, I can't wait. It's
3: really, really great, guys. You'll be frightened as often as you are tickled. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: if people can't make it to Edinburgh, how can they find out more about your work uh, they elsewhere? They
0: can uh, follow Kill the Beast. It's kill underscore beast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we have Facebook and all that kind of uh, nonsense. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be bringing the show back to uh, London and around the UK in the next year or so. so. That's as long dang. as you've got no plans for a year or so. <laughs> Hopefully you can see it soon.
2: Great. Thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. Thank thanks, you for having
0: Tash. me. Go forth and watch your scary films and try not to piss yourselves.
2: Well, my
3: advice. I can't
0: promise that. No. You can't. No. I'm i, I have right now I'm so
3: full of lime flavored water.
2: <laughs> well, thanks for listening to today's episode and thank you to Natasha Hodgson for coming in and telling us all about horror films. If you'd like to hear more from Tash, our full conversation will be in the bonus episode coming out this Saturday. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do rate and review and also subscribe. If you dare.
3: All work and no podcast makes something something Homer go crazy.
2: Thanks to Harry Harris for our jingles, Gavin Day for our logo, and Soho Radio Studios for our recording space. Until next week,
3: Goodbye. Goodbye. Forever.